Welcome to the bandwidth. Your first stop for collectible finance. Here at the Ban Arbitrage Network, we combine data and experience to help you understand the world of collectible finance. Father Ken here. Thanks for joining us today and building your knowledge in collectible finance. We've got some amazing resources available for you today, and we're glad that you have chosen to join us. I'd like to introduce my friend, Wolf. Wolf, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, doing well. Enjoying, uh, enjoying the aftermath of a nice nor'easter here, which gave us plenty of snow. But, uh, you know, the wife loves the snow, so. And I finally put together an electric shovel so I get to save my back, which has been wonderful. How about you, Ken? I am doing fairly well. We're going to have an above zero, well, above freezing temperature today, and I'm hoping to clean off my driveway. That's um, wonderful. Yeah. It's it's going to be really good. I'm I'm into a new work week and absolutely love it. And mm-hmm. I'm just going to hammer after things. It's it's kind of refreshing to do one thing and do it well. It's it's enjoyable. Yeah, uh, this is the uh, the Ron Swanson approach, right? Never half-ass two things, whole-ass one thing. <laughs> yes, yes, I love it. Uh, I, you and I were just talking before cast. You had an adventurous weekend. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to just dip my toes in and go to a go to an event in person, see how it would, see how it goes, and get a little bit of experience there. Uh, hiding behind my keyboard for a few years now, I figured I'd try and just go see what it is. And I figured this would be a very, at least a relatively small event that they had there down at TCG Con. So I figured I'd go down and just see how it, see how it goes and get a little exposure where, you know, you can kind of hide in the woodworks and just see what people are doing and see how it works and kind of get a contrast to the very cutthroat e-commerce side of things that, uh, that I've come to know and compete in. I, I find it, uh, the, the things that we talked about were very enlightening to me, and I'm sure that uh, it would become necessary for us to talk about it at some point, but I don't want to do that right now. Things are, are ever-changing in the world of, of MTG finance and the larger world of large tournaments. It's Everything's changing right now, and so the the structures of buying and selling at large tournaments, I don't know how that's going to shift or change, but it, it definitely is going to change in the future. I don't know. Uh, I honestly don't know. Depends depends on a lot of things, but we'll see. We'll see how that... I think we should jump into our first, our first topic. We have another spoiler season upon us, and the spoilers are, are spicy and interesting. Have you been following any of these at all? I have actually, just because this last weekend I wanted to. You know, it, was, it, it was weird. It's like a pre-release event for a vendor because very little sleep was was had in general. But um, I just wanted to keep up with it just to see if it might lead into any sales. Like uh, you know, I, I believe uh, Phyrexian Mana is back, so I wanted to make sure that anything like that was was out and ready to go. And uh, I was just looking at the spoilers, and I kind of love that uh, they basically they Venser Shaper Savanted uh, Tamio. She got got by the Phyrexians, and that that just is so cool. It's been been a while since we've uh, 
we've had something like that, I think, in like the story of MTG being like actually really fun to follow. And I might be biased because I got very tired of like the Oathgate and, and, and that storyline, but it's fun to see that uh, you know some characters that you might like i mean i i always think of the the anime uh, art out of war of the spark for tamio uh now she's she's one of the baddies it's just really fun to see the the storyline progression here and i believe a lot of folks are very excited for that return to to kamigawa and uh, something i can definitely say from experience now is that people love the the artwork uh, that is going to be uh, coming out of this set so uh, it's going to be really fascinating to see how it does, although uh, I'm not sure how well financially it will perform, just with how standard currently is sitting. But I'm enjoying the spoilers as they're coming out. But uh, what about you, Ken? Have you been have you been eyeing them any I've any of the been, spoilers? I've actually been eyeing them from a judge's standpoint. Um, we've got a new uh, mechanic called reconfigure, and so it says. Uh, attached to target creature you control or an unattached from a creature reconfigure only as a sorcery while attached this isn't a creature uh, so it, it in in essence it protects against board wipes which is really really spicy and it makes it so that the reconfigure um, mechanic treats it more like an enchantment creature from the theros block mm -hmm. But then also it allows us to reattach. And so it, the artifact creature reconfigure mentality is just, it's unintuitive, but it's, it's a really spicy, spicy mechanic. Like I am super excited to be able to try this out in, in major formats. And I'm wondering how it will affect, you know, things like, um, like hammer time or, mm -hmm. You know, you think about anything with with Stoneforge Mystic in it, and I just think that people are going to try and and make these mechanics work, especially mm -hmm. with instant speed artifact attachment. So, yeah, I'm very curious to see the. And obviously, we're nowhere near close to getting all the spoilers, and I highly doubt that we've gotten probably the um, uh, what do you call it the marquee cards or the uh, star cards of the set yet, but. You know, if they I see that they brought the Phyrexian mana back with Tamio, but at an extremely high mana cost. So I think we all know that they might have had some balancing issues originally when they they incorporated Gitaxian Progue and the like. So it'll be curious to see how well they do in terms of balancing these these abilities. So that reconfigure and this Phyrexian mana, and are they going to be able to keep standard exciting reducing the power creep and actually like get people interested in playing it again i mean i can tell just straight from sales data that there is a huge interest in playing modern again bunch of demand has has resurfaced this past month for uh, for just modern staples and cards so yeah. uh, i'll be curious to see and i know that's uh has a great deal to do with just events coming back and people trying to at least you know get back in the swing of what used to be normal but It'll be really curious to see uh, what happens with Standard this year. I think more than anything, just because uh, for all intents and purposes, I think Standard's just dead in the water, which is kind of unfortunate when that's the, the basis, in theory, of your business model. That's, that's kind of the rub that we're facing, though, right now. 
is what outlets do players have to be able to play standard? Every shop that I've been to in my local area, I've, I've got a half dozen shops that I've been to, not a single one of them is playing standard. Their players just don't want to be in it. I don't know how you bring it back. There's, there's no benefit for people to play standard. Like, you know, draft is firing. Sealed is firing. Modern is firing. Heck, I've got 20 people going to, to popper tournaments on a weeknight in my local area. Legacy is firing. Not consistently, but it's firing every single week. And it's just like, why, why can't we have standard? There's a lot that goes into it. But if you combine active bannings from standard plus the fact that it's, it's expensive to play standard, you know, uh, a player looking to get $100 worth of cards just to update their standard deck every, every two months, that's, that's expensive for a player. You look at the, the larger scope of things with seemingly the, the death of large tournament formats and the, the collapse of the, of the Pro Tour. It's, it's just, we don't know what will happen next with standard. There's no incentive for the local player to play. The, the other end of that, too, is the incentive for vendors is also kind of getting twisted. And what I mean by that is I've been doing a lot more custom dives and reporting for, for individuals and other parties kind of behind the scenes. And one of the big ones that uh, I've been working on is what uh, is really driving, you know, what can really drive revenue for a store on TCG Player. And TCG Player actually comes right out and says, if you don't sell the new products that are released, there's no way you can do more than $100,000 in sale. Like, it's extremely unlikely. There's a few outliers. Nobody look at the gaming company of, you know, vendors who are able to sell more than $100,000 a month on that platform. But you have to sell the, the newest product. And the problem with selling the newest products, particularly in regards to standard, is you're not clearing a profit. Like, you're churning revenue, but you're basically creating, you're, you're the hamster on the wheel. You're creating all this work for a product where your margin is just perpetually getting squeezed and squeezed and squeezed. But if you want to scale, you have to do more of that, you know, buying, cracking and listing, uh, which doesn't really make sense. Uh, like it makes sense to scale, but if you're not making money off of it, do you really want to be doing it? And it's kind of a curious dilemma to be in where the players don't really want it. The vendors don't really want it. But it's just an element, it seems right now, of the past and how it becomes modernized or brought back into relevancy is going to be really curious and one that I honestly don't think they're going to put a focus on at all. I think it's just become a supplemental format and they're going to ride high on the the EDH and the, the modern sets. I mean, the success of Modern Horizons 2 I think is really going to pull a lot of focus away from these standard sets um, towards other formats that were traditionally non-rotating. And they kind of have that moniker, like, you know, EDH is, a, in theory, a, a non-rotating format. But what Magic's really doing is through the paralysis of choice or the option of, of many, that uh, they've essentially made it a rotating format without people necessarily realizing it kind of has the name that it's not rotating, but it is very much a rotating format just from all the options and, and choices that you have. So I think they're going to lean more into that as opposed to the very small and forced rotation uh, and perception of standards. So, uh, But how that will change the overall funnel of 
consumers and, and what players do to get into the game is, is a topic I think we've, we've touched on quite a bit lately. Mm. That's, that's true. We have been wondering what the entry level points are for players and how they engage in the game, because that really drives our sales. That's, that's what we should focus upon. Just frustrated. I, I want to play tournament magic. I, I want that ability to try my hand at something and I know I'm not good, but I want something cost effective. That's a, that's a good tournament for me for the weekend. Mm-hmm. Well, that's yeah. just makes sense to me. Speaking of Kamigawa, there's been a, a lot of hype around the land series of cards in this. Have you looked at any of them? Hey, I have. I was actually uh, waiting for the plane to take off, totally putting my plane on or my plane, my phone on airplane mode. When I got a text uh, from a buddy of mine who I haven't heard from in a couple of years, but he knows I do magic stuff, and he goes, "I have to get a set of these." these uh basic lands from uh the new kamigawa set and i you know just kind of responded back as like I, I believe we can make this happen and not like two <laughs> minutes later he goes wait 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 i want the foils and i go all right and this guy he's he's in his third year of med school and he goes i'm never going to be able to play them but they're just so damn pretty i was like, I, I can i can understand that we'll see what we can do but uh that was literally what got me to look at it and yeah they they look phenomenal it's the kind of art that I enjoy. It's 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 so out there, but yet so artistic at the same time. It almost looks like a plains. It almost looks like an island. It almost looks like each each one. But at the same time it doesn't. And it's just it's just gorgeous. Yeah, they are. It reminds me very much of the and obviously, you know, Kamigawa is a Japanese theme set, but it reminds me so much of the um Strixhaven, what do you call it? Not the... Mystical Archives? Mystical Archives. Thank you so much. I was thinking Secret Layers. Oh, man. I like the basic land cycle. I think they're gorgeous. I think the legendary lands from this are absolute fire. Of the ones that I would want, the ones that would see EDH play, I should say, I think everybody wants the green one. That's that's the hot one right now. The Bosiju who endures all. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it's going to slot into modern. It's going to slot into into legacy very quickly. It's it's one that is constructive playable. The one that I think is going to have the most long term effect is going to be uh, Takanuma Abandoned Mire. It's tap at a black. The channel is three and a black. Discard this card. Mill three, and return a creature or planeswalker from your graveyard to the hand. It costs one less for each legendary creature you control. So imagine that for just a second with things like uh, Life from the Loam. Imagine it with uh, the self-mill blue-black commander deck. Imagine it with, with any deck that wants you to have cards in your graveyard. It's just a fantastic little card. And it's fun. It's interesting. Um, I, I see it slotting into two decks in in modern, uh, mainly being Dredge and then uh, the the self mill deck. Uh, what's that other one? Um, oh shoot, I can't remember. My apologies. And then and then also being used in every single black EDH deck because 
somebody's going to kill your stuff and you're going to want it back. <laughs> and so it just makes an easy land to add. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'll be really, it'll be curious to see again. I don't think we have all of the, um, all of the power cards even. Uh, and don't know the distribution, how this is going to go over and all of that and the attention that it's going to get. But it's definitely, uh, it's fun to be excited for spoilers again. And I don't think we ever really let up, although maybe we did. I think uh, that last, this last month and in December, as far as releases go, it was uh, fairly slow in terms of what we've gotten used to in terms of, you know, it being spoiler season basically every two weeks. So. Uh, maybe the breather was a good one. Yeah, I I like having a little bit of space and time. You know, nothing was really released since uh, December. We haven't had a whole lot of of secret layers or anything like that. You know, we just get to get to watch a little bit and, and slow down and be able to to really listen and and see what's happening. So I I kind of like it. I kind of like this this whole setup for. Uh, for Kamigawa, just wanting to see what happens in the future. You know, we're, we're just looking ahead. You know, there's a, a lot of changes going on with Judge Academy right now. There's a lot of changes going on with, with large tournament play. But at the same time, a lot of shops are really opening up and increasing their local play by exponential numbers. Um, I am being booked out through March now for tournaments. Uh, I've never had that before. Like I, I look at my calendar and I think, I think I have every single weekend covered between, uh, February and March right now. And I think I have to start looking at April for scheduling as well. And it's just getting busy and it's all local shops that want me to come in and judge a, a one K or, or larger type event. And Mm -hmm. I'm loving it. So yeah, it's so, nice. Now, you and I have been talking for the past few weeks that you might actually venture into a shop and start playing. Is is that going to happen? Uh, I'll venture into the shop. Whether or not I end up actually playing Magic is a, is a whole other thing. I I am not above. I've done this so many times where and I'll pay to participate in an event and I'll get there and I'll start just chatting with vendors and booths and uh, I'll just skip the event in general just to chat with folks, but definitely, definitely venture now. That's for sure. I haven't played magic in a shop, um, as much as I like over the last, you know, several years. And I'm, I'm trying to get the motivation to actually go. Uh, I'm, I'm in a totally new community. I know nobody, uh, I'm just trying to figure out what nights a week people are playing magic and getting into the shop is, is probably the biggest barrier for a lot of new players or a lot of returning players is just being motivated to get in and play. And I've had some really good experiences with shops and I've also had some, some experiences that make me want to um, burn the world down around me, so to speak. Ah, so I think as we move forward in the coming years, the local shop is going to have a higher draw for new players than anything else. There, there is a draw that goes beyond just 
just wanting to play cards. You have to be liked there. You have to have people that care about you. And one of the cool things is, is I walked into a shop for the first time in months. Uh, yes, on Saturday. And they said, hey, Ken, it's good to see you again. And I had literally introduced myself one time to them uh, last fall. I, I found it great. It was just amusing to me. I felt welcome. Got to play, uh, play the Cheers theme song for you when you enter in. Yeah, it's, it's kind of funny. It's kind of, kind of interesting. But the local shop is really going to be the one that builds the community and builds where people want to play. And if the shop doesn't change the face of, of who they attract, you know, the larger, um, the larger vision of a shop should include opportunities for, for people of all backgrounds and all ideologies to be able to play within their shop. And the need to diversify their player base is going to be so necessary for the future because the, the large tournaments, it, it seems like they're on the way out. It's, but I don't know. Well, I wasn't yeah. there. I think the, the SCG announcement of moving towards casuals is really indicative of that. I don't think this will necessarily be popular for the broader MTG community, but maybe a little bit more just in our nested little corner here. But competitive demand is so much smaller than people think both monetary and uh, just in-person events. It's not the amount of people who just showed up to play EDH. They literally just paid to show up and play EDH. It's the competitive atmosphere. And I think we're really seeing that borne out through games like Flesh and Blood, which people complain about my using this as an argument because they say, well, if I don't like, I like competitive play and I like magic, but I just don't like the game Flesh and Blood, though. I like that it's competitive. It's like, okay, but... The entire thing is is based around serving a competitive market, wherein if you're truly a disenfranchised market from Wizards of the Coast, guess what? They're gonna they're they're trying to serve you, and there really just isn't demand for that. I think there was for a time, but I think that era is outgrowing the game by and large, both in terms of who is now entering and those who joined at the time. That was the main thing. And it's just all casual now. can love it or hate it, but it just seems that that is just the way that it's going these days. I went into a shop yesterday expecting it to be like any other shop that I've gone into on Sunday. It's pretty low-key, pretty casual tournament. Well, commander play happening in the shop. Uh, As I was walking up, there were droves of people trying to find parking around the shop. And then I walked in and there was a huge tournament going on. They had a Pokemon tournament going on and a Digimon tournament going on at the same time on a Sunday afternoon. And people were still registering for the next event while the first one was going on. Apparently they had three tournaments going on on a Sunday and had the store absolutely packed out. And as I'm standing there, people are asking for first edition flesh and blood boxes like it's going out of style. And the shop is just going, we don't have any to sell you. Mm. And competitive play has not gone away. It's just shifted. If we look at a game like Magic, 
the cost to get into a new deck is is large. That being said, people are going to spend money where they want to invest their money. At the same time, you look at games like Digimon or, or Pokemon and, and things like that, and you can get cards pretty readily available to play. But people are going to play. They want to win tournaments. They want to engage in, in the adventure of playing. So it's, it's interesting. It's unique. It really helps um, think about the large tournament play atmosphere. Um, one of the things that I've also been tracking with uh, SCG's announcement is what's happening at the larger level among my friends in the judge program. And one of the things that's been going on is that there has been a slow exodus of level two and level three judges from the program. And it's, it's not a fast one, but the cutoff is today to register and maintain your, your uh, judge status. And because it's today, it kind of tells us a couple of things. Number one, it was extended from the end of December. So when I, when I think about that extension happening, I have to think that there's more people leaving the judge program than anything else and that they just wanted to free it up in case people had different thoughts or different ideas about how to get back into the judge program. And the cost is not all that much. It's $75. One of the shops that I'm working with to host a, a how to be a judge program uh, is actually willing to pay people to become judges. They're going to pay their entry fee into the judge program. So what do we do? How do we look at this? If you're extending it and you're taking your rewards away from judges, what, what are judges doing? What's happening at the larger level? A lot of people, their whole goal was to become an L3 and be able to operate uh, some of these large SCG tournaments. But that network is so tight and so small that really you you had to you had to be in it for the long haul and so i'm i'm just curious about how many tournament large tournament judges are leaving the program in droves right now i'm i'm very wondering about that whole lifestyle of being a judge tournament grinder and what how's that affecting the larger tournament scale um especially when the judge compensation has not tracked with the current situation in the world. I think it's just going to be a reaction of, it's a matter of oversaturation when you have a lot of people volunteering their time at a loss, so much so in a time where tournaments is really not the focus and it's really being thinned out. Now at a point, that will shift. If people are leaving in droves and this, and this is happening, Eventually, there will be real demand to to have somebody present. And at that point, you have the bargaining chip of, you need to pay me to show up because there's nobody's left. And at that point, assuming that there's still profit and, and demand for it, the remaining judges will be in a good position to actually charge for their time and their skill. And while it does impact the community, it, it is a way to diminish supply for demand. It's it's going to be unique and interesting to watch the future of this and how it plays out. I'm really interested in how it's going to play out. Just to put a dot on this 
or an exclamation point upon this. We found out this week from uh, Judge Academy that they're going to put foils up for sale on the website. And it's it's not just foils, but you're purchasing Judge swag to be able to also get foils with it. So they're creating a, a miniature market of loot boxes that include swag in your size, plus Judge promos, plus all this extra in stuff that just allows you to do your job better as a judge. And I absolutely think it's amazing to be able to, to build up a, um, a financial base for the program, but also it's, it's one of those things that you really have to be focused upon it and be watching for when these things pop up because they're going to be here for a month and then they're gone. And, they're going to do this twice a year, it seems like, and they're going to do it by level. So L3s are going to have the opportunity to buy their loot box in one month, and L2s are going to buy their loot box in another month. And you hope that that loot box gets there before the L1s get their loot boxes and all their promos. Because what we've seen in the past is this race to the bottom on reselling judge promos. I haven't I haven't tracked judge promos since they were distributed since they moved from being distributed to all judges to being distributed only at tournaments because the trickle down effect of that is uh, is hard to hard to track. But you know I've got I think I've got six packs of promos sitting here that I haven't done anything with, and I'm I'm just sitting on them. Because it's it's just not worth it to me to put them up right now. I I think about the future of magic and some of these judge promos are gonna be worth quite a bit of money in two two to three years. So Yeah, and that's the way it goes. And again, if there's fewer judges, that race to the bottom will eventually become less of a race and more of a walk. Mm-hmm. So but, that's yep, that's a lot of my world from uh from judging. Is there anything that you would like to add? Oh, well, I'm not a judge, so uh, my opinions are, you know, obviously null and void at the door. That said, still have some. Um, and that's just, I mean, it just it, it's a redistribution of where the, the focus wants to be, and it's clearly more towards the casual. So we'll see how effective that is, and I think we all know how, how, uh, how great uh, Wizards of the Coast can be, and yes, there is some sarcasm there, uh, is at, at steering the ship, so... You know they have a plan. Let's see. Let's see how the execution goes and just how it plays out as we keep going forward here. Especially with all these events coming back, if there was ever a time for demand. Yeah, it will be interesting and fun to watch how things progress from today. Um, it is a very unique situation within the world. It's a unique situation within the judge program. And to see where the next steps are going to go are are astounding and fun, and I'm ready to watch what happens. That being said, that's we're talking about my world of of how I interact with the game. You obviously have some of your favorite topics that you would like to talk about, and I know that because we talked about how you've you've got a stack of notes about things that we should talk about at some point. 
just hammering home that Modner's back and Modner's back in a big way. And what was really, uh, I mentioned this too, and in, in a bit of our kind of pre-discussion banter or whatever we would call that back and forth discussion, it was quite uh, self-validating for me when I was down in Tampa, just walking around, looking at everybody's hot buy list and basically seeing that, yeah, <laughs> I, I'm a very humble person, obviously, but I pretty much nailed it in terms of what everybody is is selling and what they want and and how you want to go about i mean obviously the degree of the offers is going to be different for everybody but the the cards that are in demand it's not it's not a secret to anybody anybody who's got a storefront basically ascertained from their own sales then it becomes ones are really outperforming the best because there there are so many lists and so many folks who are putting up massive hot buy lists. They've got 120, 150 cards probably written up on whiteboards of cards that they want to go after. And it was really just me looking at that, thinking that is efficient and inefficient at the same time, because you need inventory to go wide, but at the same time, you really just want the best performers. So what really counts as a best performer? And it, it just continues to be, you know, Modern Horizon 2 steering the ship and Raghavan, Urza Saga, and Esper Sentinel are just continue to to increase so rapidly in terms of a price point again doing doing more just behind the scenes uh analysis at this point that really just makes me happy <laughs> that i don't necessarily have to share or explain to to others in the time that i'm doing it but i've been doing a lot of review with the latest sales api on tcg player and just seeing that for for a card that is moving more than 100 copies a month, which isn't really substantial, but if you just incorporate it down to that level, the average price movement that you you'd expect to see is about three percent up or down. But what we're seeing with these cards and all versions of them, which is also quite impressive, of again Raghavan, Urza Saga, and Esper Sentinel, is they are increasing fourteen percent each month for four months running. That is crazy, and demand yeah. is only picking up for for modern cards. So. And I was I was telling telling them at the booth when people were coming up, and uh, I was also making a point of saying it within earshot of them, really accepting trades for Urza Saga. Let's do it, and you can have your Sylvan libraries or whatever it is. Let's make those trades and get the inventory that you can really expect is going to continue increasing at an extremely above average pace. Obviously, we I would expect to see some form of demand stolen away as you know new products come out. That's just the reality of the the way it goes. But we've had several sets come out underneath Modern Horizons too, and yet these cards continue to to really demand a premium. So it's just really fascinating to to watch and see. And then uh, I could go on and on and on, <laughs> but it's been a great deal of fun for me to to just dig into. You know what's been selling really well over the past six months, and then look over the past month and see what uh, what's continuing to accelerate up and has been moving up the prior five months, and doing all of this extra work that I I very clearly now see is completely unnecessary. But uh, from the e-commerce perspective, I do think it is absolutely essential. There's a lot that we look at within e-commerce a lot that we look at from from local tournaments and and larger tournaments that really drive cards moving but to know what's selling is one thing to be able to source those cards is another 
so being in front of the entire network of, of play, I think is really important and absolutely love that we're able to identify that and be able to move forward in, in buying and selling MTG cards. And that's, that's pretty exciting to me. Um, knowing what selling helps us be able to source the cards that we need to be able to, to, to sell them. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. I mean, the more, the more I'm doing this, it's not even just sell too. I mean, this, review or analysis that i'm looking at it's um it's really for players more than anything which is something that just feels weird on my tongue because these kinds of insights down to the singular card level it's not really worth the time of these larger vendors but from a player perspective if you want these cards short of you know getting nuked with a reprint or some you know the meteor hitting the earth kind of argument you can be pretty sure that if you want to pick them up it's it's only moving in the wrong direction for you. <laughs> or if you know you want to just have it for play or you want to have it for your collection, it really does give you the the sense of timing in, in the terms of is it going to be cheaper in the future or now to, to really kind of move in or sit back and, and wait for it to get better for you. One of the things that we look at quite a bit is is how slow some cards move. All right. So I'm I'm gonna show my ignorance here. Velocity is one of those things that that I like to keep track of when buying cards, um, and I'm not as good at it. But every card sells given time. That's that's also a really hard thing for people to realize. You know, I've got cards that have been languishing in my sale box for months and months, and I just need to reprice them to get them out of here. When you think about players, they don't think about what they're going to play next year. They're thinking about what they're going to play today. There's a lot of, a lot of people that don't hold on to a modern playables box. And I think that's, that's kind of frustrating to me, you know, it, but it's also a really good thing as a, as a seller, you know, people always want to be able to move into their next tournament. They want to be able to buy and sell the cards that they want. What the first thing I did was, is I, when I started playing modern, I went out and bought two of every, well, I, I bought a playset of every, uh, shock land that was there. And then as I had time, I bought up, you know, a playset of, of fetches. And from there, since my mana base is covered, then I just have to, you know, pick up the, the cheap mana that is not a shock or a fetch, you know? And then I can play any modern deck because our, our greatest expense is always the lands. Now we're seeing think cards like Ragavan. That's going to be a very expensive card, and it breaks all your rules of don't buy mythic red cards. It's just different to me. It does get a little bit more understandable when you realize that it's not really red cards. It's yeah. Wooberg. <laughs> I mean... If you you just splash red just to run it, and you put twelve abilities on a, a one CMC card, it tends to do that. Got ourselves basically a better death right shaman. So it's a, it's just a fascinating way to approach it. And I, I do understand what you're saying too. And I was actually blown away with how cheap the land base is nowadays. I mean, I think Verdant yeah. Catacombs and Scalding Tarn are like twenty bucks. That's what Shockland mm-hmm. should be, let alone fetches. It does also make it a little bit more interesting when when it does come time if they want to release uh you know another modern horizons product which they 
absolutely will. You've got all this power creep and you're putting all of this money and value into into these cards. When a banning is going to have to happen again, it's not like before you were banning Scalding Tarns and Misty Rainforest. There's a reason how those cards were able to keep value and they're very transferable now when this happens. And I do think, to be honest with you, it's going to be a lot of consumers complaining and still coming back at the end of the day to, to, to buy again. But I think that sting, at least for me, that would really upset me. You know, if I drop $300 on Ragavans, the cheapest copies I can get, and uh, turns out that poof, that's now $3. If that does end up getting banned, that's going to be going to be curious to see where those people go. Yeah. There's, there's always a, a frustration in the, in the middle of, of watching cards rise and fall. And for the longest time, I just, I, I rode that wave, you know, having, having decks that are banned, you know, that's frustrating. But at the same time, you know, you're able to watch cards rise and fall. And so I, I fell into the trap of, of cracking packs and holding on to, to unusable cards, just thinking that maybe they'll be modern playable at some point. But that's, that's not the case anymore. You have to be smart about what you're buying. You have to be smart about what you're selling. You have to be willing to invest long-term if you want to play this game next year. But that's the question I think a lot of people are asking coming out of COVID right now. What do I want to be doing in five years? Do I want to go back to the tournament play that I was in? Do I want to go back to grinding every week? A lot of people are looking at their free time going, that's not where I want to invest my time. And so on the one hand, we're given the opportunity to buy collections from people. And then on the other, we also are watching people scramble to set up their next deck because they want to get back to the things that they enjoy. And that's, that's kind of the place that we, we land, you know, we're landing in the middle of, of watching people sell and watching people buy. And eventually we're going to see new players come into the tournament scene and start playing. And I kind of like that. Trying to get to a return to what was obviously with the the changes of what has to be now. All right. Wolf, do you have anything else that you'd like to, to wax eloquently upon? No, but I do appreciate that description of my ramblings. I'm expanding my vocabulary right now. I've, I've gotten to the point where I have free time and uh, got three books in the works right now that I'm working on. And so I want to, want to be able to use the correct terminologies and words and, and do that. So I'm trying to get back to being more more floral in my, in my conversations. <laughs> uh, well, that being said, Wolf, do you have anything in your life that's going on maybe personally or, or things like that, that you're looking forward to that uh, we can kind of end with? No, no. I mean, I finally got a dryer for the first time in two months. So I'm wearing clothes that were not air dried and, and I'm, I'm just thrilled about that right now. I bet your wife is even more thrilled. Yes. Yes. After two months of complaining and saying, you know what, screw it. We'll just take the $500 hit. I don't care. Just give us a dang dryer. Yes, we are, we are very excited. Wow. I, I cannot fathom. Wow. Adventure. Yeah, it is. Owning a house is fun. <laughs> just wait until you're mowing your lawn every weekend. Oh, I'm going to need to get them to reseed it. And then I've got to get a fence quote here. I've gotten this place quoted twice. The first time was 15000 and then the second time was 30000 And I do not have a particularly large yard. It's crazy. 
but uh, character building times as we come out of the pandemic here. That's very true. I would say locally, we cannot get raw chicken. We, we had a restock. We had a restock locally, but we're living in a farming community. I have to be able to buy chickens from somebody. And I think that's what I'll be, be looking forward to in the next few weeks and months as we get into spring. I'm, I'm just cruising along. I'm enjoying as much as I possibly can. You know, having time to lift weights, having time to, to study and to grow as a person, having time to uh, invest in the things that I like to invest in. And it's a great thing for me. And I'm really enjoying it right now. Well, I want to thank everybody for joining us today. I hope you've enjoyed discussing collectible finances with our resources. Uh, please take some time. You can join us via the Patreon. You can find us on Twitter. You can find us in the world roaming around and enjoying our time with each other. I'm really looking forward to getting MTG ban t-shirts out into the world and being able to wear those when I wander around all these little shops. So thank you for joining us. I hope that you enjoy the rest of your day. Have a good day. Yes, yes.